So for any of you who are guests here today, um, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. Really good to have you with us today. We're um, going through the Apostles' Creed, and today we're coming to the section on the church that we believe in the Holy Catholic, that is the universal church, and the communion of saints, God's people. So I'm not sure why you came today, but it, it actually, it blows me away. When I drive up and, and I'm approaching and, you know, record campus, we're up a little bit on the hill, and so I, I'm just watching cars coming in, and I go, it's just, it's just wild to me that you're here. And I don't even know if you know why you're here today. But I, I hope that at the end of the day today, um, that coming here and meeting with God's people who love Jesus and want to live out his mission in this world uh, would be more and more something that's less optional in your life and more like, I, I can't wait to get there. I, w- I want to get there. Because I, I realize this, that there are many reasons why we could say the church, that is the local church, is the hope of the world. It's God's plan A. There is no plan B. And there's a lot of things that could happen when you're doing life in the church where you, where you could say, well, man, if the local church is the hope of the world, then the world doesn't have any hope because the church is beautiful and yet it's broken. It's beautiful because of Jesus and what he's doing, what he's changing in us and through us. And yet it's broken because of ourselves and our own sinfulness and our weaknesses and our ability sometimes unintentionally and sometimes intentionally to hurt each other. It's been said of the church. The church is the only army that shoots its wounded. And so if you've been in the church for a while or you're just starting, I guarantee you you're gonna run into the beauty of the church and the brokenness of the church. So I started going to church before I, I even knew I was going to church. I was, a, I was a baby. And my parents took me to Winneka Bible Church. So this is the north side of Chicago. I grew up in Evanston. There's just a couple suburbs north of Evanston, Winneka. This is the Bible Church. So I cradle rolled. That means I was there in the nursery. Um, it was as a, a four or five-year-old that a Sunday school teacher was presenting the good news of God's love for us in Christ and and just challenged us to put our trust in Christ. And I knew Jesus was God's son and that he died on the cross for me and I wanted to live for him and I put my faith in Christ. I was like five years of age. I've got so many memories in that place. I got memories of going to church Sunday mornings, first to Sunday school and then to church. And big church was a challenge for a little kid, much of a challenge. I learned how to hold my breath for over a minute to kind of get through the sermon I would wonder when Mr. Anderson in the choir loft was gonna fall asleep during the sermon. I was wondering if Selma Bixler was gonna snore today. I was, all these things, I couldn't draw, I couldn't shake my legs, because my mom was next to me, and it was real, like really important I was well-behaved during church, but I, I did it. On Wednesday nights, we went back to church. Sometimes it meant going with my dad to the prayer meeting, and people prayed really long prayers at the prayer meeting, but uh, I, I heard people pray and talk to God. What I really liked to do on Wednesday nights so was go to Boys Brigade. Boys Brigade was a time for me to just, it, it, it was like uh, scouts. It's like a Christian version of scouts. I, I loved it. We'd go on camping trips. And I was a bit of a rascal, if you didn't know that. I was like more than a bit of a rascal. I remember being on a camping trip with the Boys Brigade, and our leader, one of our leaders, Ted Jones, was making spaghetti. 
And um, I, I, I don't even know why I had an opinion about it, but I did. And I was kind of grousing about it. And he said something like, you know, if you were one of my students, he was a teacher, he said, I'd throw this plate of spaghetti at you right now. And so you, what do you think I said? That's exactly what I said. And he did. But I was quicker than Ted. And I ducked. And the plate went right over my head and landed on the chief ranger, the leader of Boys Brigade, like a chest full of spaghetti. I was, I was a rascal. I remember, I remember that I figured out that they store Sara Lee desserts in the church kitchen. And I thought, you know, I go to this church. I should have some of that. And so I figured out how to pick back the lock with a sharp knife out of the drawer so I could get into the freezer section of the kitchen and get some Sara Lee. I remember when my buddy and I figured out that the fire extinguishers on the third floor are not only accessible, they're not filled with all this chemical, it's just water, and we could have a blast having a great water fight up on the third floor, right here in this church. I remember that. I remember as a high school student helping the little kids like we just saw in the video, uh, teaching them about Jesus in children's church. I remember being active in the youth group. I remember people who loved on me, like Bev and Harv Larson, and Joe and Iris Ballard, and youth pastors like Grady. I remember all of that, the trips that we took. I remember the missionaries that would come to the church, the missionaries that would stay in our home. Just some profound, profound memories. When I, when I was in college, I got baptized at Winneka Bible. I remember that right when I started seminary, before Lori and I got married, the year before we got married, I was the junior high director for two years. And in fact, Lori and I started ministry together, and we started marriage together, doing ministry together, and, and, and it was great. But I also can tell you that there were some hard things that happened. My oldest sister, Monique, married the pastor's son, and there was this great wedding at the church. My next oldest sister, Madeline, met this great guy. They were going to get married, and they wanted to have the former associate pastor do the wedding who knew us and loved our family. We loved him, and why wouldn't he be able to do the wedding? He was just on staff at the church. Found out he can't do the wedding. What? He can't do the wedding. And that was just weird, and it was hard, and there was tension there, and her wedding's at a different church, and I've experienced the beauty and the brokenness of the church. This is only the third church I've been involved in in my life, which is kind of crazy. So 24, my first 24, Winneka Bible. And then we went to a place called College Church. So out of seminary, we got called to a church in Wheaton, Illinois, College Church, right across the street from Wheaton College, a Christian liberal arts college. And I was called as a youth pastor. And um, we, we came, young married, didn't have any kids, and uh, we had no plan to stay for 23 years. That was not on our radar. It was like, hey, let's see these seventh graders graduate. If we could do six years here, that would be awesome, because I had four youth pastors in four years. So we started out, and it was great. And all five of our kids were born there. And about seven years into it, they asked me to move into a new role as a pastor of Christian education, overseeing family ministries. Here's me at my desk. When uh, 25 years ago, when I started that new position, Claire was just born, and it was a great time to transition with the growing family and the demands of youth ministry. So um, we loved on. We loved on through hard times in 1992. Laura was pregnant with a little baby about five and a half months in, lost little Gabriel, and we went through one of the hardest things to that point in our life that we'd ever been through. And the church just came around us and loved on us. Another 11 years goes by, and Lori has a brush with cancer. 
and it was more than a brush. It was frightening. We have five little kids, and the church came around us and loved us and cared for us. We feel like we grew up in that place. I feel like I grew up as a pastor in that place, was given more responsibilities. I had the freedom to fail and lots of grace and great people to do life with. And as I moved in that role of a senior associate pastor, there's this growing desire to go preach and maybe take a church, but I didn't know how that trans, I didn't know how to quite, I figured, I, I would say to Lori, hey, the Lord got us here and he knows where we live and so he'll get us to the next place. And then right, right as we're moving into what we think is gonna be a time of transition, everything changed for me in that place, like in, in, in a day. And I can't go into it. All I can say is, is it was so hard. And it was something I dreamt about for about three years, every night. And so when we came here 10 years ago, I, I was hurting, as this church was hurting. So if you, you don't know the history of this place, you know, January 11th, 2005, the beloved pastor, my predecessor, Brad Smith, he dies basically over a weekend. And so this church was mourning, and I was hurting. My family was hurting. And we came to Madison, so different, college church. Did you see the pictures, the robe choir? You know, I, my friends, they would come and see me in the first years preaching in jeans, and they would just start snickering, going, you gotta be kidding me. You're preaching in jeans? Can you do that? <laughs> it's so different, and yet we've been embraced here and loved here and have enjoyed Madison. I'm a Badger fan. I can't do that Packer thing yet, but loving, <laughs> loving, you know. Anyways, won't go there. Um, loving it, right? But hey, the church is beautiful and broken because of who we are and because of who Jesus is. So a couple years ago, right now, the Lord challenged me. He said, Mark, you've been hurt again. There's a challenging time in our recent history, and you're holding the church like this at arm's length. And I want you, I'm challenging you to deepen your love and commitment for the church. So that's been the, the kind of last two years has been the, the journey that I've been on, just deepening my love for this church for you. And what, what I can say is, two years down the road, as I've been reflecting this week on the church, there's never been a time, there's never been a place where I've had a greater love than I do right now for this church. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm, I'm privileged to serve alongside of you, to be one of your pastors. So... I've been thinking about the church and reflecting on this wild paradox that some of the greatest experiences I've had in life and some of the most difficult have all found their intersect in the same place, and I wasn't expecting it, in the local church. The church of Christ, which is beautiful because of Christ, but is broken because of me and you, and we're not yet fully Christ, and yet it's God's plan A. And my hope is this morning that we love the church more. That, that we don't want to kiss, kiss it away, but that we want to embrace the church that the Bible calls Christ's bride. So what I want us to do here is to unpack five key words 
from this section in the creed. So you can see the creed here. We, we believe in the Holy Spirit who brings us into this new fellowship, right? The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. So I wanna talk about holy and saints because it's the same root word that hold those two together. Those two words, we wanna talk about Catholic, we wanna talk about church, we wanna talk about communion, what we share together as the church. So we'll begin with this word holy. We're holy, we're called saints, not because of who we are, but because of who God is and what he's doing in our lives through Christ. Now, when we think, some people feel like this around church people and around church, that they are holier than thou. They're acting as if they don't have any problems, they've got it all together, and they no longer sin, and in fact, they probably never have sinned. That's not what we're talking about when we say that. When we think about the holiness, it's because our God is holy. And when we think about holiness, we think about set apart, we're different. And we're different not because of how we behave, but because of what God is doing and done through Christ in our lives. When we think about the holiness and the beauty of the church, it's like we think about the light of the moon. There is no light on the moon. We know that, right? It's all reflecting the sun's light. And anything that's beautiful and anything that's holy is only the beautiful light and reflection of God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, and the work of the Spirit in us. And so we're saints, not because of anything we've done. We're saints because that's who God calls us as we place our faith in Christ. We're in Christ. He sees Christ when he looks at us. He's made us holy, but the Bible says he's making us holy. We're not yet fully like Jesus. We believe in the holy Catholic Church. Now, this word Catholic, I remember at college church, we said the creed every week. I'd never been to a church that said the creed every week. I don't, I don't remember saying it ever in a church. And when we got to that word Catholic, I gotta tell you, that messed me up. Like, what are we saying here? We're not saying we believe in the Roman Catholic, big C. We're talking about Catholic, it's a word we don't use. It means universal. In fact, there used to be this description of some of the letters in the back of our New Testament. And they would call them the Catholic epistles because they weren't written to a person like Timothy or Titus. They weren't written to a particular church like the church at Philippi or at Corinth or in Rome, but they were general letters to the broader church. They're universal letters for all God's people, not a specific person, not a specific church. So when you see the word Catholic, you see the asterisk, it's reminding us, it's the universal church made up of all those who've placed their faith in God's promised Savior. So think about it. That means those who are trusting in God's promise in the Old Testament, those who are trusting in Christ today, and those who will trust in Christ. All those everywhere. And it's made up of people that come from all kinds of backgrounds, speak all kinds of different languages. And, and yet, th- this, is, this is who we are. This is the church as God sees it. The Catholic church, the universal church that has these outcroppings called the local church. So here's the difference. The universal church is made up of all true believers over all time in any place, any culture, any race, any age, whatever, wherever, 
whenever. It's the church that God sees. And what unifies the universal church is a common faith in God's promised Savior, Jesus Christ. The local church is part of the universal church. It's an outcropping of it, but not everybody who's in the local church is part of the universal church because there's people who are being drawn and not there yet. There are people who think they're there, but Jesus says they're not, Matthew 25. They go, wait, wait, wait a minute. What do, you, what do you mean you don't know us, Jesus? We were there. We were doing miracles and we were casting out demons and we were doing all this religious stuff. We were in. He says, no, you weren't in because it's not about doing stuff. It's about a relationship with me and you didn't have that. So you can be part of the local church, you get what I'm saying, and not be part of the universal church. But when we come to this phrase Catholic, we're talking about the universal church. All those who've trusted in God's promised Savior all the way back today, all the way in the future until Christ comes back for his church. We also believe in this word called the church. And what we're saying here in the church, so if I do a word association, I say church, what, what do you think? What do you say? Church. Steeple, okay, church, building, church, Door Creek, church. Okay, if, if we're driving the car and I say, hey, check out that really nice church, what, am I, what, am I, what do you expect to be seeing? A building. So in our day, it is so easy, word association, church building, church structure, church architecture, church, Door Creek. And when you think about Door Creek, what do you think about? Oh, that really nice place up on the hill or at North Campus, that great Smaller space that we have in DeForest. So easy to think of as physical space. Now, the interesting thing is the Bible uses this metaphor of the church's building. It's a temple. It's made up of these living stones. But it's just that. It's a metaphor speaking to a spiritual reality. When the Bible talks about church, it's always talking about the people. And here's the interesting thing. The word church shows up 114 times in the New Testament. And that word means the called out ones. What does that mean? Well, actually, it's the same word used in, in Acts 18 to call people out to come together for this public assembly. In the fifth century, it was used to call someone out of civilian life into military service. When, when the Bible talks about the church being the called out ones, it's about God calling us to himself into a relationship. That's, we're called out by God for God. And so, so this is something that I want you to catch up with. The church didn't just start in Jerusalem, Acts 2. The church just isn't 2,000 years old. The church goes all the way back to the very beginning when God created Adam and Eve and called them into a relationship with him. And when they broke that relationship through their rebellion and doubting his goodness, he's been chasing a people for himself, calling them back to himself through Christ for his glory and our good. And so that same Greek word that we find 114 times in the New Testament is found in the Greek translation of the Old Testament written in Hebrew. It's called the Septuagint. It shows up over 100 times. And it'll translate words like congregation, like the assembly, like the synagogue, the gathering. And so it's not just the church today is is the continuation of God's work from the very beginning of calling people into a relationship with himself, the church. And it has all these 
local expressions like Door Creek, like Fountain of Life, like Blackhawk, like this church in Turkana that I was at preaching a few years ago in the middle of nowhere where we were helping through our wonderful partnership with World Relief. We were digging wells, they were planting gardens, and they were planting churches, and I got to go preach in one of those churches. Wow, looks really different. But let me tell you what, these people who have very little, they are never thinking in the service when it comes time to sing. When can we sit down? I know you were thinking that sometimes. <laughs> Man, come on, Ben, can we sit down? These people, when they get to singing, they do this, you know, the jump around deal in Camp Randall, fourth quarter? That's what they do. Like, I couldn't believe, I've never been to worship service where we were just jumping as high and you had like 60, 70, 80-year-old men and women jumping, the kids were jumping, and there was all this infectious joy. I think of all these little places I've been. I think about the time I preached in the slum in Kabura outside of Nairobi and they had this little storefront and they had benches out behind it and, and, and that that was the church there. I, I remember driving through Kenya and Nairobi and seeing the churches gathered under big trees. That, that's all they had. I, I remember being crammed in that, in that building in Varanasi, India, and everybody was sitting on the hard cement floor, packed into a room, singing their lungs out and loving on Jesus and each other. I remember preaching in that Tree of Life church that weekend in Varanasi, and they didn't have a roof over their heads, and they'd put down the the bamboo matting as the people came in, they brought in some food and brought it up to the front so the leaders could distribute it to people. I remember that everybody took their shoes off as they went, you know, just this is like a special place. So we're taking our shoes off. And so what did I do? I took my shoes off and guess what? I had a big hole on my big toe and I'm going, oh my word, I'm gonna get up there and preach and my big toe stick it through. So I remember taking those socks off and preaching in bare feet. That was awesome. I'm just thinking about these things of being in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and seeing the church there that is, that it's a hard thing to be a church there in Malaysia with a strong, strong Muslim presence. So his church, his called out ones all over the world, right now, all over the world. Some people gathering freely like us, others sneaking in at great risk. And that's been going on for millennia and millennia church gathering around God and since the New Testament around Jesus Christ. And then there's that last word, really a powerful word. And for most of us that see the church as beautiful, it's this common union that we have, this communion. It's not talking about the Lord's Supper, but that's part of our common sharing in Christ, right? It's, it, it's the reminder of God's love for us in Christ. But it's, it's talking about what we share it's our common union. It's our partnership. It's the mutuality. It's the deep bond that we have through our relationship with God whereby he's adopted us into his family and now we're really different people that we might not choose to be together in life. But God has brought us together in his family. You don't choose. Have you ever thought about this? We do not choose our brothers and sisters, right? We choose a spouse. We choose a friend. You don't, you don't choose. Your, your parents give you family. And our heavenly father has placed us in a family so that we're sisters and brothers. We're in his family together. And we have this deep sharing. What is that sharing? Our sharing in the creed reminds us that we believe in one God who exists as the God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, right? And we believe in the Holy Spirit. We share a common belief in God, our triune God. We share a common belief in God's grace, 
And that the only way we're here and going to make it in life is by God's grace, freely given to us. It has nothing to do with what we've done or not done. His love, his grace metered out to us every day in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have this common sharing in the power of the gospel that, that God does love us. He always has loved us. And the gospel changes our lives. And we find life in the gospel, and the gospel shapes our lives. That's common. We have this common mission. Jesus says the mission of the church is to go and make followers of him, disciples of Jesus from all the nations. That's our common work together, to help more and more people become devoted followers of Christ. That's our mission at Door Creek, to join God in changing people into devoted followers of Christ who change the world with his love. So there's all these things that we have in common, sharing in God's mission, sharing in his grace, in the gospel, in our belief, in our faith, and then each other's lives. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons we say, hey, don't, don't just come here on the weekends. Do life together. Get in a group. Get in a life group. Serve together. Get, get in a support group. Encourage and hold each other up in hard times doing life together, and, and what happens is that then we share in each other's lives. The highs, the lows, we pray together, we serve together, we love on our kids if we've got kids, we help each other. We're just doing life together, sharing meals together. And when Paul starts describing this mutuality, this common union that we have, he reminds us it's something that we don't create, it's something that we preserve. We have it and yet we're to protect it. And he talks about it. So grab your Bible, Ephesians chapter four. Paul starts to unwrap this very thing in profound ways. Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse two. We're in the back of our Bibles. If you need to grab the table of contents, it'll help you get there. It's also up on the slide. Verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Like, this is really helpful stuff when we've been hurt by the church. Staying humble, being gentle, patient, bearing with each other, making peace, working hard at that. Now he talks about this sevenfold unity, seven's the number of perfection, this perfect unity that we share, this communion that we have as Christ's church. He says, there is one body, that's the church. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, called to one hope, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, when you were called. One Lord, Jesus, one faith, the teachings of the word of God. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. And when you see this now in living color lived out, their, their commonality, their communion, their bond, their mutuality, what we see in the New Testament is they shared a common devotion. These were really at the heart of what the church was about. They were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to doing life together, to fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Excuse me, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, remembering the Lord's Supper and his death on their behalf. They had a common devotion. They also had common um, sharing in each other's emotions. When people were down, they would weep with those who mourn and they would rejoice with those who were flying high. They shared in each other's emotions. They shared their possessions in such a way that people were selling off property that they had. Think hunting property, men. 
They were selling, selling off extra acreage to help people in the church that weren't making it. And they would give the proceeds of the sales of their property so that other people's needs would be met. And it was said of that church in Jerusalem, there wasn't anybody. There wasn't anybody whose need went unmet. This is unbelievable sharing in each other's lives. Not only that, they shared the gifts that God had given them. So the Bible says this, when we put our faith in Christ, the Spirit of Christ gives us a new heart, new desires, new power, his presence with us. And with the Spirit, special gifts, special abilities. Each of us, none of us has like all the gifts. I'm not even sure the Bible gives us all the gifts. I think it just gives us a representation of most of the gifts. We don't get all of the gifts. I wouldn't say we even get most of the gifts. We get a gift. Maybe we get a few gifts. And the reason you have that gift and the reason I have that gift is to help each other grow to be more like Christ so that together we can forward and move forward the mission of Christ in this world. And he goes on to talk about that very thing, about the gifts in verse 7. Follow along. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Skip down. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip, remember that word, his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up strong until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And this is really important because it's so easy in our day to go to church to kind of feel like it's just another thing where, we, you know, we're going to, to observe. It's like we did for the Olympics a lot. We just, we turned it on. We just watched it. None of us ran. None of us jumped, never lifted anything, threw anything, got in a pool. We just watched. Oh, man, can you imagine running alongside of Usain Bolt? Ah, can you imagine being not just in the stadium in Rio, but actually participating, what that would be like? Can you imagine being Michael Phelps and winning how many gold medals? Oh, my God. Goodness. And so it's so easy for us to kind of go to church, to get in this kind of passive mode. And this teaching here about the church is wait a minute. The church is not a place to spectate and to be a spectator and to watch these gifted people up front do their deal. When you chase it down, here's what you see that God gives this grace to leaders for a purpose the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. They're called to equip. God's people, so that every member is doing ministry. The church of Jesus Christ moves forward, not just through gifted leaders, but leaders who prepare everyone in the church that knows and loves Jesus to be effective for Christ in this world. So that word prepare, equip, it's a medical term. It would talk about all the preparations that one would go through medically as they would set a bone so that bone broken, it's not useful, but it's going to be through the preparations that'll set that bone so that person can walk on it. Did you, did you see the, the French gymnast? Did you see him? So he does the vault, he lands, and he breaks his leg. And I mean, they're, they're, what do you do with a broken leg? Some of you are old enough to remember Joe Theismann. Remember that one? 
You know, Joe Theismann, he's got, he's got no knees. It's, it's just moving anywhere. It's, it's, it's of no use. This leg is of no use to him at this point right now because it's broken. But there's, there's a better picture I want you to leave with because that's a sad one. Here he is. He's doing better. He's on the mend. But here's the point. The leaders, wherever you're leading, if it's in your family, if it's a small group of, you know, seventh grade boys, if it's women in your Bible study, if it's, if it's little kids down in God's garden, wherever you are leading and working with others, as, as a leader, we're equipping other people to know their gifts, to know that it's not just using our gift, but it's how we use it, so character is part of preparation. Love, using our gifts in love is huge, and helping people grow in their ability to use what God has given them at this time to make a huge impact that lasts forever. So I need you because I didn't get all the gifts and I'm certainly not Jesus. So I need you and you need me and we need each other to grow to be more like Christ so that together we move forward the work of Christ in this world. And the result is this. Verse 13, there's unity, not division. There's maturity, not immaturity or instability. There's love, building up, not tearing down. And why is that important that we're united? Why is it important that we're loving? Because that's the way God's mission goes forward. Jesus prayed, Father, we're, we're, we're one, and I'm praying that the church, my disciples will be one just as you and I are one so that the world will believe, so that they'll believe it's true that you sent me to die for them so they could have a relationship. Why in the world would people ever believe from us if we're always at each other's throat in fighting that they could have peace with God when we can't have peace with each other? So our unity surrounded in love becomes this huge apologetic. It's not not about how much Bible knowledge we have. It's not how, how... Few times we've sinned, although, man, living a holy, righteous life is powerful, but that's not the dynamic Jesus points to. It's our love for one another. And as we have this commonality and doing life together and sharing what God is, the grace that he's placed in our life for each other and the world, wow, we move it forward. Unity, maturity. So we're not bouncing around. don't know what is true. We know what is truth because we're in the church that has God's word and we're protected from false teaching and false teachers and we're loving each other. So that brings us full circle. Yeah, I know we're supposed to love each other, but, you know, someone said to me between services, well, you know, loving the church is a little bit like hugging a porcupine. (laughs) You know, the, the, the closer you get to it, the more it hurts. And so... You know, this sounds all well and good, Mark, but the reality is I've been really hurt and it's really hard to love the church that's hurt me. What do I do? Well, you heard me say there there isn't a quick fix. It's a process. And all I can say is whenever we're hurt, one of the best things we can do is to connect our hurt to the cross and what Christ endured I'm never gonna work it out in a healthy way when it's just about me. But when I take the things that are hard in life and allow the pain to drive me to Christ, who died for me when I 
didn't care about him. He died for all of us when we kind of thumbed our nose at God, so we'd rather do it our own way. We, we, we do that, and it's a process. And he talks about it, right? So at the end of the chapter, this is like really helpful for us who've been hurt by the church, or might be. And all I can say is, the church is gonna disappoint you if you hang out in the church. The church could really hurt you. And this teaching is really important when it happens. So what does he say in verse 29? Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. Be kind, be compassionate, forgive, just as, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. The church is beautiful. It's broken. It is plan, God's plan A for the, for the world. There is no plan B. So I was asking some people, where would you be without the church? And one friend just talked about, I, I just wouldn't have the sense of family that I've had. People who were like aunts and uncles who loved on me, people who invited me in their homes when I was in college, people who've loved on my kids, helping me point them to Christ. Where would I be without the church? The first sentence was dead period. I never would have made it through these successive losses that I went through if it hadn't been for the love and the care of the church. People said, I, I wouldn't know Christ. I'd be lost. I, I, I'd be stuck in shame. I wouldn't know what love means. I, I wouldn't have a hunger for the word of God. I wouldn't have a sense of purpose for my life. I love the church, the church that's prayed for me. And didn't get into it, but junior high, I was a train wreck. And my mother had every woman that she knew that loved Jesus praying for me, and most of them were at my church. I know the church has prayed for me. I know there are people, God bless you when you come up and tell me, I pray for you every day, Mark. I love the church. The church has prayed for me. This church has put up with me. This church has cried with me. This church has laughed with me. The church of Jesus Christ has kept me centered on what's important, strengthened me, taught me, loved me, stretched me. The church has watched over my soul, Amen. protected me. But I, I, that may not be your experience. And I, I can't, that cannot be the angle I give you. Here's why you should love the church. Because Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. He came to this earth and suffered humiliation and shame and awful physical torture, but even more spiritual agony where the first time in all of eternity there was a separation within the Godhead because of my sin and your sin, the church's sin. He loved the church. And we live in a day where you, we, this is what's being said, there are books being written about it, that I, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church. Well, here's the deal. When you chase the metaphors of the church, you can't separate the two. 
So Jesus is the head and we are the body. Jesus said, you can't have me as the head without the body. You can't do that. You can't have the vine without the branches. You can't have me as the cornerstone without the rest of the building. They're inseparable. Christ and the church, which he loves, which he loves today, which he's coming back for. And so if we love the church, we want to grow in our love for the church, there's three moves that we talk about all the time. We call them the big three. We go to church. We gather on the weekend around Christ and the word. I didn't say gather on a weekend. The church is like, it's elevated. This is not like an optional thing in this week. I, I want to get to church because it centers my life. It connects me to a God who loves me, to truth and wisdom and fellowship. I, I, there's things that happen here that can never happen to me when I commune with God, and it's rich when I'm out in creation. I remember, what, I think it was Luther who said, going to church is, is, or not going to church, is like taking the hot coal and taking it out of the other coals. And what happens? Goes out, right? Goes out. And so we, we gather on the weekend around Christ and his word, we, we know each other's story. We see each other weeping and worshiping and it moves us and it encourages us. We see someone singing with all their heart and it moves us and encourages us. We hear God's word and it centers us and it guides us. We gather on the weekend around Christ and his word. The second move is we grow in a group. If this is all you do, as wonderful as it is, you are missing out. Huge by not doing life together. We grow in a group to become more like Christ. I mean, look, we can come here and nothing happens the rest of the week and nothing that happens here trans translates to the rest of the week. But when we're doing life together and we're keeping it real together and have trust in each other to just say where it's at and where it's hard, man, something happens and we're grow. We're on a fast, fast track to becoming more like Christ. And then the third move is we give. We give of ourselves like Jesus. We give of our time. We give of our talents, the natural abilities, the spiritual gifts, and we give of our resources. Those are the moves that, that have us running into God's goodness and his grace for us. Those are the moves that move his purposes forward in this world. These are the moves that are good for our heart that grow us and grow the church. What's your next move? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for your love for the church and we ask you to grow our love. We ask you to take the pain and the cynicism and just work that out of us by reminding us again that this is a church that because of your grace, the spots, the blemishes, the wrinkles are being worked out because of your great love for us. Lord, forgive us for um, the, the ways that we may have hurt somebody else and discourage them to be part of your church. Protect us, grow our love for you and our love for each other, and may this church, Tor Creek Church, may it be more and more beautiful in your eyes, in our kids' eyes, in our community's eyes, as we seek to point them to you until you come or call us home. This is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.